Hello, and welcome to the Ghost Smudge Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Jen Green, and here we like to learn about reconciliation, land back, and how to be a good ally to Indigenous people. We also like to shit on Trudeau, so if that sounds like fun to you, then hit subscribe and you can join me every Monday for a new episode. Ghost Smudge Yourself is an independently written and produced podcast that brings you weekly decolonial education, often featuring Indigenous guests from across Turtle Island. And when I say independent, I mean me. So if you want to show me some love, here are two ways that you can support this Land Back podcast. First, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give Ghost Mud Yourself a positive review. It's free to do, but it really helps the podcast reach more people. Or second, if you're looking for something a little more involved, I actually have a Buy Me a Coffee account, which is kind of like a Patreon account where you can choose to donate money to keep me caffeinated. There are options for both one-time donations and options for monthly or yearly memberships that offer perks, including access to our monthly decolonial virtual hangout. You can find me at buymeacoffee.com forward slash smudge yourself, and that's without the go. The name was too long, apparently, so let's take that up with Buy Me A Coffee. I'll be sure to pop the link in the show notes. Whichever you decide to do, or even if you're just sharing the podcast with a friend to spread the word, merci, medu, thank you. And let's get this party started. But of course, before we go any further, yes, I am bipostal, so I want to acknowledge that today's episode is being produced on the traditional ancestral land of the Kwan-Lindun First Nation and the Ta'an Kwachan Council. Thank you both nations for hosting me. Hello, fellow aunties and uncles. Welcome to episode one of the Ghost Smudge Yourself podcast. This episode is all about cultivating a safe space for your spirit, how to do that, and why it's necessary. For those of you who are new to Spirit Talk, consider this a self-love episode with a discussion about how we can bring indigeneity back into that discussion. I also want to take a moment to wish my friend Jim a happy birthday for August 10th, but enough chit-chat, let's just jump right in. So this past weekend, I had the privilege of participating in a workshop called Cultivating Safe Spaces by Elaine Alec. And for those of you who already listened to my Decolonize Your Bookshelf Part 1 episode, which is actually episode number 2, you'll recognize Elaine as the author of Calling My Spirit Back. And for those of you who haven't listened to it yet, first of all, that episode has five of my top recommendations for books to help you have bigger, badder, land-back discussions, so I really think that you should check it out. Second of all, Elaine is a Sequimic and Seal First Nations woman and a member of the Penticton Indian Band. And Elaine, I'm sorry, I've been practicing trying to say the names of your First Nations. If I said them wrong, I apologize. I've been working really hard. (laughs) Her book discusses her experience with intergenerational trauma as well as how she has healed through ceremony and has gone on to teach others how to work with people who have been traumatized. In other words, how to cultivate safe spaces. It's a must read. This workshop and the book are braided together in lessons and in application. I'll link both her website and social media in the show notes so you can follow her. She is busy, but she is available for booking to host these workshops to help businesses restructure and do all that amazing work required for inclusion and accommodation. Anyway, I was in this workshop and I was struck with this real and intense fear that 
I would never myself be able to host or facilitate one of these workshops, which is actually a goal of mine. And I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to do this because I feared that I would lack the ability to suspend judgment of people who ultimately would anger me. And I mean people who, you know, don't believe in climate change or people who think poverty is a choice, like not just people who piss me off. I was terrified that I was going to be hosting a workshop and not be able to cultivate a safe space for them because I myself wasn't going to be a safe space for them. After I expressed this fear to Elaine during my chance to speak, she elaborated a bit about nested systems, which are essentially systems set up like those little Russian nested dolls, you know, the ones that like fit inside each other. (laughs) You have systems nested within systems. For example, a nested system you might see is an individual at the center, then a family unit, then the community, then the nation, or something like that, and it gets more complex as you go up each level. Regardless, after Elaine spoke about these systems with the individual at the center, I realized that I was forgetting something so key in relationships and the interactions that we have with each other. And that realization was that negative judgment is seeing qualities in others that we fear in ourselves and deeming them bad. Once that clicked, I also realized that I really don't give myself enough grace, nor do I give my spirit enough space. And I immediately knew that I had to make this podcast and I had to talk about it and why it's so important because if I'm dealing with this, then chances are some of you out there are dealing with this too. Listen, our brains are super busy. They're always working super hard to filter endless information and keep you moving through your environment seamlessly or as seamlessly as possible. The problem is that the brain is amazing at forming patterns and snap judgments. I remember reading once that it only takes the brain seven seconds to decide if you like someone or not. Like, what is that? Do you want someone looking at you and deciding whether or not you're a bad person in seven seconds? I sure as hell do not. Have you guys seen resting indigenous face? Like, it's real. And I look angry all the time. But we do it. And we do it based upon biases and patterns that we've been taught are good and bad from culture mostly colonizer culture. So yes, it's possible for indigenous people, black people, people of color, etc. to be racist against each other and themselves. We've been taught to hate ourselves. So don't go thinking just because someone has darker skin or wears traditional clothing that they can't hate their own people. It was beaten into us and it runs deep in our psyche. What I just said negative judgment to seeing qualities in others that we fear in ourselves and deeming them bad. I want you to think about someone that you don't like. And I'm serious, just trust me. Why don't you like them? Are they rude? Are they blunt? Do they laugh too loudly? Oh my god, they have no sense of humor, right? It can't be, I just don't like them. Do the work. Why don't you like them? Because you're not like other girls and she's just too feminine. You get it. You got the picture, right? Now, I want you to picture yourself as that person. And you don't want it, right? Because you've made them a stand-in for a quality that you've deemed unacceptable and that you would hate yourself if you had that quality. In fact, if you had that unacceptable quality, you would be unacceptable, right? It's so important for you to understand yourself and what triggers you 
and what biases you've internalized. You need to be able to look at someone that your brain is telling you not to like and understand that your brain has artificially substituted that person in for a quality that you've deemed bad or wrong or ugly or feminine or whatever other trait colonizer society has taught you to hate. We've all been programmed to do this. You, me, my neighbor, everyone. But that identity that you've given people, that's not who they actually are. And that identity that you've given them is what you're afraid of being. It's the attributes that you hate so much, that you fear of being seen as, that you spot in other people because you're hypervigilant of it in yourself. So let's give you an example, yeah? Because I don't want this to sound antagonistic. Like I said, this is something that I myself went through in the trauma workshop this weekend. So I'm going to be vulnerable with you. You're going to be holding my spirit. I ask that you be kind. Um, yeah, this is my own personal example. So growing up, I had a very close relationship with my brother, uh, my brother Cole, and I loved him I still love him. I loved him very much, and I thought he was so strong and fierce. Uh, like many Indigenous families, I've experienced trauma within my family. Abuse, alcoholism, divorce, abandonment. I should clarify, temporary abandonment. Um, my brother dealt with our trauma with alcohol and eventually ended up losing his leg to the underside of a three-quarter ton truck driven by his ex-girlfriend. And the details of that story are his to tell, so I'm going to leave it at that summary. But as you can imagine, he didn't handle it well, and our relationship quickly deteriorated after that. I have the ability now to see that uh, his coping mechanism reminded me of our childhood and all the things that I feared and hated about myself. He reminded me of my hard nights crying for my dad and thinking that I wasn't good enough. It was never Cole that made me angry, but always that memory of not feeling good enough and for just waiting for nothing. And I want to clarify that I've also since reconciled with my dad. I have begun the reconciliation process with Cole and I've since apologized and explained my behavior. Our relationship isn't what it was, but he knows that I love him and I know that he loves me and we are beginning to repair our relationship once again. But none of that would have happened if I hadn't stopped to suspend my judgment of him to look at myself and really dig into why my body reacted the way that it did every time I saw him because it did. It, I had a very extreme physiological reaction every time I saw him. I would enter into a fight or flight reaction and my initial reaction is to fight so as you can imagine we had a very toxic relationship so when I talk about suspending judgment and giving people space and understanding the first step is actually to give ourselves space and understanding it's really uncomfortable at first because we have to realize that when we're judging others we're judging what we view to be the worst parts of ourselves and that's so unhealthy when we think about it. Just take a minute to think about the amount of self-scrutiny that you put yourselves through, yourselves through on a day-to-day -day basis without even realizing it. And that's on top of the self-scrutiny that you already know about. You know, I mean, we, how many of us have body image issues that we're already aware of? And then we're also turning around and blaming other people for 
the self-scrutinization that we are using them to place on ourselves. It's totally unfair for both of us, right? So how do we stop it? And where do we start? Well, before we discuss how to cultivate a safe space for ourselves and for our spirit, because we are going to do that, I want to quickly talk about some signs that you don't already do that. Because I know that some of you are sitting here like, dude, I love myself. I give myself space. I practice self-care. I have like a 20-step nightly skincare routine to prioritize myself. I got my bubble baths. Well, I thought I was cultivating a safe space for my spirit too until I took Elaine Alex trauma workshop and I realized that I've been giving everyone else the space and grace to fail and be human and ask for help when they need it, but as my chronic illness begins to shrink my world and I get sicker and sicker, I've never given myself the same respect or grace, which yes, hey, hi, hello, I suffer from two chronic illnesses. We're not going to get into that here right now, maybe in the future, but right now let's just keep moving on. I never gave myself permission to concede that the auntie that my niece had when she was a baby, the one that could chase her around endlessly for hours, is not the same auntie that she has now. Now I'm tired, I'm in pain, I struggle to keep up, I struggle to stand sometimes, and I live in constant fear that my value has diminished and continues to diminish if I don't fight this disease tooth, or both of these diseases, tooth and nail, even when fighting often makes my symptoms worse. And how fair is that to myself? So if you're sitting here thinking, Jen, like I practice my self-care, I'm fine. Let's just run through this list of signs that you're not cultivating a safe space for your spirit and you can be the judge of it afterwards, okay? So here's a list. And this is not exhaustive. We have the usual suspects, of course. Insomnia, muscle tension, or body aches. Like, how's everybody's neck doing? I can tell you right now, my neck is sore. My bag feels broke, guys. How about excessive sweating? And I'm not talking about hyperhidrosis. I know some people have like a clinical condition called hyperhidrosis. I'm talking about people who they are constantly nervous sweating. What about trouble taking a deep breath? How many of you are just sitting here taking shallow breaths all day? Bloating or digestive problems? Do you guys have IBS? IBS is caused by stress. Hypervigilance? How many of you leave the house and feel like you're being watched constantly? Trouble concentrating or a sense of overwhelm? Fear of rejection? Do you guys feel safe speaking up at work? Do you leave your ideas at the door in meetings because you know that you're not going to be taken seriously? What about when it comes to your partners? Do you tell your partners how you feel because you know that they're going to honor your feelings? Or are you the type of person to just keep your upset to yourself because you know that your partner is not going to honor your feelings? Anxiety, including social anxiety, perfectionism, or avoidance behaviors. Are you guys procrastinating right now? How about compassion fatigue? Are you guys so overwhelmed and stressed that you can't even begin to wrap your mind around caring about somebody else's problems? What about coping mechanisms or toxic positivity or hustle culture? So that list is already long. And like I said, it's not exhaustive. These are just some of the signs that your spirit is not being taken care of. And I actually created a shareable infographic for this podcast with this information. And the link to that will be in the show notes. So if that list is too long, which I know it is, don't worry. I got you, boo. Feel free to share that infographic far and wide. It's yours to do with it what you will. Pass on the information. Everybody's spirit deserves a break. So now we know what to look for. Now what? 
everyone's like, yeah, okay, maybe I don't sleep the best. Okay, maybe I'm scared to bring up my ideas in the meeting because I don't want to sound dumb. That right there tells me that you don't feel safe, and neither do I. Most of us don't. That's what colonialism does. It's its main goal, to strip us of our comfort and control and make us feel like we're wrong, like we need someone, aka the government or our bosses or some other patriarchal figure, to tell us what to do and how to live. Let's talk about how we can take our power back and how we can heal our spirits. The first one we've already kind of went over and it's offering yourself validation and suspending judgment. It's harder and simpler than it sounds. It's simpler in a sense that all you have to do is realize that judgment is you using people around you to decide what you hate and fear about yourself. It's harder in a sense that you have to really look at yourself and figure out what you don't like about yourself or what you fear about yourself, which is painful and uncomfortable. It also opens up the chance for you to validate your feelings and to validate your trauma. After you do that, you have the opportunity to give the people who you've likely had a long-term negative feeling towards or a physiological reaction to a clean slate or a neutral slate in your mind. And that's vital because having that clean slate and removing the stress response that you get when you see someone that you've been pinning your trauma association onto frees you both. That takes deep work because it takes an acknowledgement that you hold the power to your feelings and that you hold the power to change those feelings. Not everyone's ready to accept that responsibility yet and it's easier to blame other people for how they make you feel. By the way, we're going to get into that when we chat about sovereignty, but the deep work comes when you're ready and the decolonization comes with the deep work. Now, I should put a caveat in here there are always going to be situations where a person does not belong in your life. What I've just said is not in any way me trying to say a toxic person's behavior can be overlooked or anything like that. I'm talking about the body's response that we have when we see or interact with people that we don't like because they represent traits that we would hate to have ourselves. We have the right to heal ourselves from that response and move forward, but toxic people should be removed from your life. Number two, take time away. Literally from anything and everything that you can and have to. In traditional indigenous culture, when a family is grieving, we aren't allowed to do anything for an entire year and the opposite clan steps up. For example, I'm a member of the wolf clan and when my great-grandpa Archie died, the crow clan actually cooked for us, maintained the fire. We weren't allowed to do anything, especially at the potlatch. It's forbidden. Colonization has made it damn near impossible for us to take care of each other. Jobs and employers will fire you or deem you unreliable if you need to take time for yourself, so they'll run you into the ground and then hire somebody new. It's absolutely unacceptable. Colonialism is unhealthy for everyone, not just Indigenous people. So when we talk about decolonization, we're not just talking about things that are good for Indigenous people. We're talking about bringing love into the world and love into systems that are designed to hurt people and love benefits everyone. Take time away, turn off social media, turn off your phone for a few hours before bed, do what you have to do. Number three, smudge yourself and ground yourself. I mean, obviously you guys knew I was going to say this one. (laughs) If your head feels light, put your bare feet on the ground. If you feel heavy, cleanse whatever's clinging to you. Our ancestors knew that the universe is made up of energy and spirits are no different. If you carry negative energy, negative energy is going to keep piling onto it. 
I'm at the point where I smudge daily. I have no shame in that. I have depression and anxiety, and being away from my babies is too much for me to handle. I need the smoke to clean off the bad medicine I attract with my sadness, and I'm aware of that. No matter who you are, when was the last time you introduced yourself to the land? How many of you just get out of the car and start hiking? Do you bother to say hello to the trees and introduce yourself? When we talk about grounding ourselves, the land recognizes us and it holds us. It takes away our pain, but we have to respect it. Introduce yourself, say hello, walk lightly. And when you do that, the ground will hold you. It'll take your pain and it will ground you. Number four, go to the water. Have you guys noticed how meditation apps all have water sounds? Like rain, rivers, waterfalls. They all do, right? Indigenous people know water is sacred. We know water is alive. Water has memory. Scientists are slowly catching up to this and this knowledge. And we've been sitting here tapping our watches like, come on, guys, you can figure it out. Water knows us intimately. She has held us from the moment we were created and she sustains life on earth. If you do nothing else, revisit your relationship with water. Do you run the tap while you brush your teeth? Are you just wasting her? Do you turn a blind eye to campers dumping things in the lake? Give these questions some serious thought. How sacred do you treat water? Remember, she's the reason we're all here alive. In times of struggle or in times of pain, you'll find me by the water. That includes like taking a bath, taking a shower, taking a swim. You can always just dip your toes in water or dip your fingers, even if you just listen to water. There's no better feeling for your spirit and she knows you intimately. Tell her everything. She can and will carry your pain for you. I'm not kidding, guys. Revisit your relationship with water. It's one of the best things that you can do for yourself and for your spirit. Number five, take time to assess and address why you need self-care. I learned this one at the trauma workshop as well. Actually, I hadn't really given it much thought, but this one's really big. If you find that you're in a position where self-care is necessary or necessary often, then you need to sit with yourself and reflect on why that is. A lot of us are willing to do the self-care and we're willing to go through the steps of, you know, taking our bubble baths or taking the time to do our nightly skincare routine, but we don't often take time to reflect on why we are so run down and why we are so stressed. It might not be that deep. It could just be that you're not sleeping enough and you need to prioritize your body more. Or the revelation could hit you like a kick from the colossal titan when you realize that you're suffering from vicarious trauma due to your area of research and how deeply it's affecting you. And that's personal for me. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. If you find that you're constantly needing to do self-care, grounding, smudging, that's an indication of something being seriously wrong. It could be that the safe space that you're trying to cultivate for your spirit isn't enough. And baby, it's time to call in the big guns. And by that, I mean call in the aunties, call in the uncles, call in the cookums, call in the cousins. You need your sisters, your brothers, your community. We were never meant to do this alone. And I am including settlers in this. For anybody who's sitting there saying like, what is a cookum? First of all, that's a grandma. Second of all, you're included in this. You are just as much of a community as any indigenous person. And you deserve to be included, 
okay? We were never meant to do this alone. And if you find yourself constantly doing self-care work, you may have isolated yourself from your support group. We are so much stronger together and indigeneity means that we stand together and we hold each other up when one is weak. No one is left behind. So don't let the colonizer mindset trick you into thinking that you deserve to be left behind or that you have to do this alone. We belong together. Number six, love-based actions over fear-based actions. And this one is the last one that I'm going to list. The list could go on forever, guys, but we have to cut it off eventually. This one's the last one I'm going to list, but it is a big one. It's a big one. So let's just dive in. How much of our actions and choices are truly based out of love? And whenever I hear myself say this, I always picture that dumb scene. I feel like such a dark, that dumb scene from Donnie Darko (laughs) where they're talking about love and fear. And like, if you know, you know, okay, but we're not going to go there. The reality is that fear-based action is real and it doesn't simply boil down to true fear in the same way that someone is afraid of water or spiders. When we talk about fear-based actions, we're, we're referring to actions that are guided by fight or flight or a stress response or an avoidance behavior or even a coping mechanism. When we talk about love-based actions, we're not just talking about lovey-dovey things that we do, like we are talking about that, but we also mean actions that come from feelings of understanding, generosity, compassion, relaxation, etc. So when I ask you how much of our actions are truly based out of love and how much of our actions are truly based out of fear, maybe your initial reaction was like, dude, what? Like none. Maybe your reaction still is that. But think about it like this. And this, I'm going to give you a really simple scenario. Maybe it'll help break it down a bit. Let's say I buy my mom a coffee, which is a nice gesture. Most people would agree that that's a nice and maybe even generous gesture. How many of people would still say that that's a nice gesture if I bought it for her to sweeten her up before I told her that I lost her favorite shirt. Suddenly that gesture of love and generosity becomes a gesture of bribery. I don't want her to be upset. I might not actually be scared of upsetting her in the same way that I'm scared of the dark, but I'm doing things to manipulate and control the situation because I'm scared that I don't know how she'll react. That's what I mean by actions out of fear or acting out of a place of fear. So how much of what we do and how nice we are, how much of what we say to people is actually out of love versus just wanting to be nice for social convention or for fear of losing social sway? How much of our actions are just low-key or high-key manipulation? These are things to keep in mind. Our spirit knows when we're behaving out of fear and our spirit knows when we're love bombing people to have something to hold over them later. It doesn't feel good. We feel dirty about it inside. If it feels bad, it's wrong. If it feels good, it's good. Our spirit knows when we lie to make ourselves sound more impressive. And it knows when we lie to make ourselves sound less impressive. Showing up authentically and vulnerably with love is the best medicine we can offer our spirits and the spirits of those around us. Not only does showing up authentically and vulnerably show everyone who we are, but it also reinforces the first step to cultivating a safe space for your spirit in that it suspends judgment. How can you show up vulnerably and authentically if you aren't accepting yourself? You can't, right? So you automatically give permission for other spirits who are coming into the space to authentically show up and be vulnerable as well. It's powerful. Suspending judgment and refusing to act out of fear are just two extreme 
extremely powerful tools in your toolbox for cultivating a safe space for your spirit and, and for the people around you, the spirits around you. Also, I know that there are a bunch of you who are sitting here pushing back against me. Maybe it's a little voice in your head saying, listen, Jen, even if I am judging myself, if I don't give myself some tough love, I'm never going to get anywhere in life. I know myself. I like to sleep late. I like to talk during movies. I need my daily frappuccino. Whatever the case is, I know some of you are trying to push back where people are sitting here thinking, you know what? I need the tough love. I need the criticism. It keeps me working hard to stay in line and improve myself. And to that, I say, hell no, it doesn't. Think back to when you were younger. Did your parents say mean things to you at any point? What about your teachers or your sports coaches? Did that make you feel good about yourself in a way that made you want to work harder? I bet it broke your spirit. Maybe you worked through it, but I can guarantee that it wasn't because of those mean words that you succeeded. It was in spite of those mean words. That's not indigeneity, and that's not creating a safe space for your spirit. Acting in spite is acting in fear. Not only are fear-based actions bad for our spirits, just like we talked about, but fear is one of the main tactics used by colonialism to keep people subjugated and questioning their own sovereignty. And see, I told you we were going to come back to sovereignty. So you may be sitting here thinking, you know what, sovereignty has nothing to do with this. Hear me out? Yes, it does. Listen, we need to push back against this idea that fear and this new concept of like quote-unquote tough love driving us forward and being successful is what we need. Hell no, it's not. Our ancestors walked on this land with the ultimate freedom and sovereignty. And I want to talk to you about that right now. If this story or this idea, this concept doesn't squash your perceived need for tough love in order to succeed, then I don't know what will. I want you to think back to a time prior to roads and highways as we know them, back to when travel took days, weeks, sometimes months. There was no common written form of information in indigenous cultures on Turtle Island. Colonizers and settlers seemed to confuse that statement with the concept that we didn't possess maps or know who else was on this continent. (laughs) Like, you know, like we were all like wandering around lost and starving and didn't, you know, (laughs) didn't know where people were. The fact of the matter is our maps and our relations are stored just like our history and our stories. As was all the knowledge of what food and landmarks were available across the land, where to find refuge, where to portage, even what hot springs were hot enough to cook in. I want that to sink in for you. Lots of people like to devalue Indigenous stories and oral history because they think it's not accurate since it wasn't written down, but our very survival relied upon the accuracy of these stories being maintained upon each telling over several millennia. That is hella discipline. Hella discipline. Keep that in mind as we keep going. Now, Because many First Nations groups were nomadic or semi-nomadic, and I want to clarify, there were a lot of First Nations cities, all right, but there were a lot of First Nations groups that were nomadic and semi-nomadic, including my own. Families might split up and travel up or down river, sometimes for months at a time, and of course, this is a time long before telephones and email. Like, you didn't speak to these family members until you saw them again when you met them at the agreed-upon date at the agreed-upon destination. So pack up, stories in your head, moccasins on your feet, you're off, see you in a few months. And we're talking journeys, like if you're in the Yukon, 
from Watson Lake to the coast or Whitehorse to Ross River, sometimes even further, you know, over mountain passes that settlers have claimed were never climbed until they got here, down into central BC even. That's fucking incredible. You want to talk about sovereignty. You want to talk about freedom. Let's talk about trust. You know, let's actually talk about them. Imagine the level of trust that you have to have in yourself and in your family and in your knowledge that your culture has given you to be able to walk away from each other for months with no communication. Imagine the level of trust that you have to have in the land and in your relationship with the land to be able to do that. Our ancestors knew what trust was and they knew what love was. They knew that because they took care of the land, the land would take care of them. They didn't fear the land. That is sovereignty. Everyone wants to talk about sovereignty in a nation sense and that's wildly important uh, as a discussion to have as well, like especially when we talk about indigenous governance. But sovereignty begins at the personal level and it begins at the spirit level. It begins in knowing what you're capable of begins in knowing that you have the knowledge and the power to achieve things without spite and without fear being the driving force. Colonization, however, is the opposite of that. Colonization and the colonizer mindset work by removing that sovereignty and that trust you have in yourself, and they teach you to question everything about yourself. They take away your power and your spirit's ability to guide you. Not only that, but by teaching you that if you don't fit colonization's one way of being, you're also taught that you're inherently wrong. Like, how's that for tough love? Listen, do you think our ancestors traveled the rivers and hiked the mountains in spite of the land? Fuck no. That's colonizer talk. They didn't fear the land. They walked the land with love. They did it with so much love, you guys. As Indigenous peoples, we still fight and put our bodies between the land and machines trying to destroy it because we love the land. Colonization teaches us fear. It teaches us that we're wrong. It teaches us that we're separate from the land, that the land is something to be conquered and endured until we find what we need and then we extract it and retreat to comfort. Colonization teaches us that we need to be on this never-ending quest to get closer and closer to the top of their hierarchy because not only is it closer to the capitalist riches, but it's also closer to their god, who of course is better than our creator because that's how hierarchies work. There's no love in colonization and that includes in tough love. So it's at this point that I encourage you to do away with the idea that you need criticism or that you need quote unquote tough love or that you need hard rules to keep you in line or to protect you from yourself. What you need is compassion and love and understanding and you need space to explore your trauma and your fears and your judgments. You need the chance to understand yourself and where you're coming from without self-criticism leading the discussion. What you need is a safe space for your spirit to heal, and your spirit will take care of the rest. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. And you're probably going to have to confront a lot of things that you don't like about yourself and a lot of things that you don't like about the patterns that you've learned over the years. But this is important work for all of us to do, Indigenous people and settlers. So don't think for even a second that you're alone in this. Like I said, I went through a workshop this weekend thinking I've done so much hard work. I love myself. I'm dangerous, guys. <laughs> and yet here I am coming to you telling you that I cried all weekend. We're all in this together.
So, everyone, what did you think of my first podcast? I'm going to remind you at this point to subscribe and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts if you got something good out of it. Today, we got a chance to talk about cultivating safe spaces for our spirits, why it's important, and some practices that Indigenous peoples rely upon to do just that. I want to thank you for sharing this space with me and for letting me be vulnerable with you. Don't forget that I also have the link to the shareable infographic in my show notes. And like I also said, this episode was inspired after a trauma workshop with Elaine Alec, whose socials and website will be linked in the show notes, along with a link to purchase her book, Calling My Spirit Back. It's an amazing read. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. If you made it this far, remember to take care of your heart, mind, body, and spirit. Decolonizing yourself and the world is tough, but I see you out there working. Masi, Amedo, thank you very much for your time. Now go smudge yourselves. Okay, bye!